You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. It's the week of Sunday, August 28th, continuing in our series, Romans, the Declaration. Aaron Couch joins us at our Moscow campus this week, preaching through Romans 12 as he explores what it means to function together as the body of Christ. Good morning, Real Life. How's it going? Glad you're here. Second service. You guys ready to go to work? Before we get rolling here too quickly, I want to um, throw something at you because I think that in this service, we have what it takes to meet this need. You know that our church, we, one of the things that we care a lot about is, is ministering to the those people of our community, whoever those people are, right? And uh, there's a group of people that I take real personal that I think really matters to God, and that is single moms. <laughs> Uh, just saying, we may be a Pentecostal church before the service is over. Uh, the reason, the reason why, uh, I care so much is because God says that religion that God accepts as pure is to care for the widows and orphans. And I think they fall into that category. So we're starting a small group for just specifically for single moms, for them to have an opportunity to get together, minister to one another, and be encouraged and inspired. And here's what we need. We need childcare for them, because guess what? They're moms. And they don't have the ability to say, hey, husband, you be a dad, right? So uh, that's something that we can totally do. Like, that's not even hard. You don't even have to do it every week. You can do it, I mean, simple. It's once a month. It's like, if we get enough people to do it, you only have to do it once a year. Um, but what we need is somebody that's able to uh, participate in the child care for that small group. And so if you're interested in doing that, uh, talk to Carrie Gray. Uh, she's our women's discipleship coach. If you don't know who she is, come and talk to me, and I will get you connected to her, okay? So um, do that. I mean, honestly, it's two, it's two hours, one evening a week. It's not that big a deal. Um, just turn the TV off. You'll have it. You know, it's amazing what happens when we just turn the TV off. Like, I don't have time. All right. I don't have time. I got to watch my shows. That's what DVR is for, right? Uh, so we're going to start the, the next section of Romans 12 today. And so, or Romans, the book of Romans. We're starting Romans 12 today. And so uh, what happened is met last week, Marty kind of wrapped it down, uh, this first section. And he gave you guys this chart that Brent built that's really good. I want to go back and review it quickly. And um, then we'll jump into this. First of all, chapters one through three, three groups, same problem. Doesn't matter where you get your moral code from or how awesome you think your moral code is, pick the standard that you choose to live by, ultimately you're going to fall short of it. So it doesn't matter how awesome you think you are at being morally correct, we're all in this dilemma of falling short of God's standard for us. Okay? Good news. Because of Jesus Christ, everyone, regardless of your moral code, every one of us is justified by faith. Okay, and that's good news for us. You don't have to have it figured out. You don't have to do that. Oh, and by the way, that's always been God's plan. It was never about God's chosen people being special. That was never the point. God chose his people not to make them special, but to help put him on display to the world, to show the world what he was like. That's what they were chosen for. 
And, and so think about this, like the audacity, the nerve of these people to think that they could just be Johnny-come-latelys and get into heaven. We've, we who've been in the church for a long time, we've been doing this for years. How dare you give your life to Jesus on your deathbed? How dare you? Right? The next section, God blesses, God chooses to bless and redeem everyone. What we talked about is, who are you, potter or clay, to say to the potter that he did it wrong? that's not fair, right? That's not fair. I just want you to know that fair is a four-letter F word. It is. I don't care if it's fair or not. God's not fair, He was never fair. Grace isn't fair. It's not fair for you and it's not fair for them. And the truth is, we don't actually want fair. We don't even want equitable. What we want is for every good thing to come to me. Let me prove it to you. Let's say that you and your best buddy, you work the same amount of hours in a day and he got paid 20 bucks and you got paid 10 bucks. What would you say? That's not fair. Now, let's say you and your buddy worked the same amount of hours in a day and he got paid 10 bucks and you got paid 20 bucks. Oh, all of a sudden, that was, look at how generous he was to me. I don't know what the bonus is for, but I guess, I mean, you know, whatever. Sorry. You don't want fair. Because I don't know anybody, I don't know, I shouldn't say anybody. I don't know very many people that would be like, that's not fair. Here, let me give of my bonus to help it all be fair. None of us want fair. We want all good things to come to us. That's what we mean by fair. And so anytime that somebody else gets blessed and we feel like we didn't get blessed, oh my word, it's not fair. Listen, here's what God says. Here's what Paul says in Romans 9. If this was your problem, you could get over it. By the way, this is awesome with your kids. Go clean your room. Clean my room. It's not fair. Go mow the grass. It's not fair. (laughs) Who are you, Clay, to say to the potter that I don't have the right to tell you to mow the grass? (laughs) I don't know how you got here, but I had a little part to play. Get over it. (laughs) Get over it. Go, like, do you get my, like, this is what Paul's been saying. He's like, look, you don't have the right to tell God that he's not doing it right. Bummer that he's generous, but oh, by the way, that benefits you too, right? So that's where we kind of wrap down. And, and what it says is that he gives his mercies generously to all people. God has bound all men over to, to uh, disobedience so that he might show mercy on them all. Now, we got to run through this because there's about 10 amazing sermons in this chapter, and we're going to shove them all into one moderate sermon. Anyway, so the next section is the end of the book. And what's going to happen is Paul's going to say, okay, if that's true, we're all equal in the eyes of God through faith. And then, and we got to figure out what to do with that. Then how should we, God's people, put him on display? What does it look like for us to live in this community of faith where we're all kind of samesies? What does that look like? And Paul is really going to push on some of our church tradition buttons, not because the church tradition is bad, but because 
it's efficient and it's black and white and it's clean. Either I did the, I followed the rules or I didn't follow the rules. That's easy. The problem is that's not what God's going to call us to. What God's going to call us to is to actually having real relationships with real people in real world. And that's hard. But what I would suggest to you is this. We would all agree that, yeah, you know, love God and love people, that sums up the entire law, right? But what I would also say is that relationship, functioning in community well, is not just the journey from here to there. That's the definition of spiritual maturity. And if you're not, if you sit in this room today and you say, I love Jesus, but I don't like people, you don't love Jesus. That's what God says. Because you can't love Jesus and not care about what he cares about. Right? That's why John, 1 John, he says, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, if you, if you look like God, you have fellowship with one another. It's just the rules. It's a clean, it's the cleanest, like, it's not about your moral code. It's not about keeping the rules. Well, I, you know, I don't drink, smoke, cuss, chew, hang around with the girls that do. I don't care. How well do you love people? Which is messy and hard and they hurt you, right? So this is what, this, the good news is that's what Paul's going to invite us to. All right, let's get started. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, because God has poured out his mercy onto all of us, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Okay, let's pull this apart quickly, because I... Oh. This, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 12 in the theological scholar world are called Word Study Alley, because there are so many amazing word studies to be pulled out of this and what we can learn by what's meant by living sacrifice and what's meant by worship and what's meant by all these different things. Like every word is so important, and we're not going to really talk about uh, just a couple of them. Um, First of all, we're talking about being a living sacrifice, and this is tied to the Essenes, and, and they, they were wrestling with this question, and uh, the Essenes are priests who abandoned the temple and went out into the desert to study the text. That's who they are, and they dedicated their lives to studying the text because they, they believed that the temple had gone apostate and that um, they were trying to figure out how do we worship God without the temple? How do we do that? In a theocratic society, the temple is kind of the center of the universe for them. And, and how do we reject the temple and still worship God? Because everything that we do as an act of worship is tied to the temple. So what do we do with that, right? And they, so they went out into the desert in this place called Qumran, which if you go with me to Israel, you should. I got 10 spots left. As of this morning, I got 10 spots left. You should come with me to Israel. Um, we'll go there. We'll go to Qumran and we'll hang out. We'll talk with, we'll hang out with the Essenes for a day. Um, kind of a cool, it's amazing what we can learn there. But they were wrestling with this, what does it mean? And so they coined this phrase, living sacrifice. They wanted to be, if you think about it, Paul doesn't have to use the word living. He could say, offer your bodies as a sacrifice and you would still get his point, right? You would still get his point. What he's saying here though is that we are in, it's not that we go to the temple to sacrifice to worship God. We are constantly in the process of while we're alive, laying our lives down as an act of worship to our God. In view of God's mercies, this is our 
act of worship. Now, the word spiritual is a terrible translation. It is a terrible, terrible, terrible translation, and it's built on weak translations from years gone by where people just did it. Uh, the um, King James, New American Standard, they'll translate it reasonable, and that's getting closer. That's getting closer to where we're at. The, the Greek word that's, that's spiritual there is the word logicane, which sounds like an ointment, right? It's, just like, I got stung by a bee. Get the logicane. Um, are you allergic? Because they just raised the price on EpiPens. Apparently, that was a bad deal. Anyways, uh, so logic, we get our word logic from it, right? This, what he's saying here, and reasonable isn't a bad thing. This is the prefrontal cortex reason for, for what you do. This is the rational, like in view of God's mercy, the only thing for you to do that makes any sense at all is to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, to lay down your own life to function better for the purpose of the community. Make sense? This is what he's asking us to. He's been laying this case all along, like God's leveled the playing field through faith in Christ. He's leveled the playing field through faith in Christ, and this was always his, his idea because he wanted to pour out mercy. So in view of that, the only logical thing that you can do is to offer your body as a living sacrifice. If you don't think that that's logical, one of two things is possible. Either you have not experienced the mercy of God in your life, or you've experienced it, but you don't understand how much it means. You think you're way more important than you are. If you knew God's mercy, you would see that the only logical thing for you to do, this is what Paul's saying. And now what he's going to do is he's going to define how. How do we offer our bodies? This is 12, 13, 14, 15. How do we offer our bodies as living sacrifice? Well, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what, God, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Have you ever asked God this question? What is God's will for my life? Yeah? What's God's will for my life? I got good news for you. It's the wrong question. How about if we ask this question, what is God's will? And then rather than trying to bend it to our life, we just get into that. What is God's will? Well, what I can tell you definitively is this. You will never know God's will when you choose to live by your own agenda because God is under no compulsion to honor your version of what life is supposed to look like. Right? When you're like, well, I did the wrong thing and then I got mad at God because he didn't bless me. Really? Hmm. It's weird because acts that lead to death lead to death. That's what Paul said, right? Acts that lead to life lead to life. Like, I wanted A plus B to equal L. And I was mad when God said, no, it equals C, always. <laughs> you know, it does, does. Like, that's the way it functions. And God is under no obligation to honor your definition of how life is supposed to work. He doesn't need to honor that. Now, he will honor and bless his definition of how life is supposed to work. So the question is, which life do you want to be a part of? One that's blessed and honored or one that's constantly kicking uphill? I don't know. I think I want God's blessing. 
that has a tendency to work better in my life. Here's what he says. Immediately, what Paul's going to recognize is we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Well, what's, what's that look like? Well, it doesn't look like uniformity. Like we're all the same. We're the Borg, right? Like we're going to, we will assimilate you. That's not, it's not what it looks like. I don't know if you know this, but we're different. Which to all of you immediately look at me and go, thank the Lord um, that we're different than him. But like any of you that have been married, you know that men and women are different. That's not wrong. That's a design. Like God made us different. Men and men are different. Women and women are different. Like we're different. We're unique. We're designed with this purpose. And what's interesting to me, and I wish I had time to pull this apart, but I don't. What's interesting to me about this is the Bible says that God knit us together in our mother's womb. And it says that he marks our steps. If God is as smart as I think he is, I believe that those two things are lined up. It's as if God, when you were conceived, looked at the world and said, what does the world need? And then he went into your mother's womb and he made it. You are a gift that God gave the world. You're not a mistake. Your design is not bad. It's not wrong. And that's so critical for us to get a hold of because if the goal of the Christian life is to love about us what God loves about us as much as God loves it. And what we, what we start to do over time is we start to hate this thing about us because what happens when um, those of you that are hardwired, like you get life from meeting needs to other people. Now, all of us are called to serve at some level, but there's, there's some of us in this room like you are hardwired by God to give your life to meeting the needs of other people and you just are constantly being taken advantage of. Now, all of us get taken advantage of sometimes, but you, this is the story of your life. And it's because you don't know that God made you to do that. And so if God made you to be a servant, then he's constantly, you're going to be in this path of people who need to be ministered to and served. But if you don't know how to put boundaries on it and leverage it correctly, you're going to perpetually get taken advantage of. Make sense? This is why it's important for us to know that our design is a good thing. It's given to us by God. Okay? So we need to celebrate it and honor it and use it in a healthy spiritual way so that we can glorify God because we're all different. And together, we start to meet everybody's needs. For by the grace given me, I, I say to everyone among you, don't think of himself more highly than you ought. By the way, we could close the sermon down right here and just meditate on that for the week, and we'd be awesome. Uh, but with, think with sober judgment. Each according to the measure of faith God has assigned, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. In fact, one translation will even say grace gifts. Now, I, I want to make a distinction here about the, the gifts, and there are theologians that will disagree with me on this, but I'm right. So, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, they're not standing up here, I am. So, try it on. There are two words used for gifts in the New Testament. One is the word pneumatikoi. Say pneumatikoi. This is the root, uh, the spirit, the word for, for spirit in the, New Testament, in the Greek is pneuma. So pneumatikoi are spiritual gifts. 
Then there's another word that is charismata. Say charismata. Charismata is grace gifts. And what, what we often try to do is stick them together. And I would say they're not the same thing. A spiritual gift is I am, I, I am a thing and I walk into a room where there's a need that needs to be met and I don't have in me what it takes to meet that need. But all of a sudden, because the spirit is living in me, he empowers me to meet that need. That is a spiritual gift. Make sense? Whatever that is. A grace gift is a creational gift. It's, it's the, this is the, your talent. This is why there are some people where leadership is listed as a gift in the New Testament, but there are some people who don't know anything about God, but they're leaders. They're good leaders. This is a person who's a, just a talented leader. Whether you walk close to God or not, that's a person who's gifted to lead. Make sense? This is charismata. So there's pneumaticoi, spiritual gifts. The spirit intervenes in a situation through me to empower, to meet needs, whatever those needs may be. And then there's charismata, grace gifts, which are creationally based. They're, they're things that are just true of me in my life. From the day I'm born till the day I die, this is going to be true of me. God's in the picture, God's out of the picture. This is still true of me. Make sense? Now, my goal then is to take that talent so this is the difference between gifts and talents. My goal then is to take that talent and submit it to the Lord of my own will so that it can be maximized to meet the needs that he calls me to meet. You with me? This is what Paul's talking about in Romans 12. Grace gifts, talents. Here's what he says. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now this is not prophecy in the sense of new revelation or foretelling. This is prophecy in the sense of, this isn't like, you know, you're going to walk out of here today and get hit by a car. It's not like that. Like the um, psychic hotline, it's not like that. You're going to meet somebody someday, and they're going to say something to you. Like, How did you know? <laughs> because you're alive and not housebound. Um, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, these are people, this, this sense of prophecy is like, look, guys, we're headed in a direction, and if things don't change, this is going to be the end result. Is that the end result you want? If not, we've got to change our direction. If you think about the Old Testament prophets, that's the vast majority of their message. Make sense? It's the, the horizon doesn't look good for us because we're headed this way. We need to return here. That's the kind of prophecy that we're doing. And there are people that can see it. They're like, you can run that way. But if you do, wah, 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 right? Like it's not going to go well. Okay. If service in our serving, this is what I was talking about earlier. You, those of you that are just gifted, you're just designed to serve and it's, it's okay, but you can't let people take advantage of you. It is okay for you to have healthy, healthy boundaries. Uh, if the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts, Exhorts in his exhortation. Let me talk about exhort because that's a terrible word. Uh, the Greek word there is parakaleo. Say parakaleo. Parakaleo means to call out. The Holy Spirit in the New Testament is called our paraclete. This is a word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit. So you may want to be an exhorter. Right? What this means is someone who is willing. Have any of you ever felt stuck in your life? 
a parakaleo sees people who are stuck and comes in and puts his arm or her arm around that person and says, let me walk with you. I refuse to let you sell yourself short. And they call out what God is doing in that person and they are able to help them move forward. That's, that's what the Holy Spirit does for you. By the way, it's me, and so I think I'm, this is the most important one, I think. Uh, the one who contributes in generosity. Now, let's throw this one out. The one who contributes. There are people, even in this room, there are people who every time you turn around, you make a million bucks. I am not that people. And, they, and, and what they, they feel bad. They feel bad about it because they're like, man, I just make money, make money. It's so meaningless. It's money. It's meaningless. It's money. No, it's not meaningless. Do you know the sacred task that you have in being able to fund kingdom projects? The ministry that we could do for people who can't help themselves. If I can't raise, I can't, I'm not the money guy. I can give you 18 million ideas on how we could put it to use in the kingdom for his glory. But I can't make the money. I need you. Don't feel bad about it. Be like, hey, you can come up to me anytime and be like, hey, I made $2 million yesterday. Probably make 20 tomorrow. I'd be like, awesome. I got some single moms who could really use your help. I know some, some people who are coming out of prison that could really use a neighborhood that they could come and live in for a little while so that they get their feet underneath of them without getting connected to the same people that put them there in the first place. I know some drug addicts are coming out of rehab that really want to stay clean, but the only people they know are still using. Like, I, I, I'd love to build a neighborhood for them where they could come in and be solid and have a, a spiritually mature couple that's living in that neighborhood with them that's like they're just for no other reason other than to just mentor them and get them on their feet so that they can become productive members of society. Amen. Guess what stops me from being able to pull that off? Money. That's it. Like, it's a great vision. And I think everyone in this room would be like, man, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. To, to help, I'm going to run out of time. To help, I mean, think about this. This isn't, this isn't representative of every single mom, but to take a single mom who got pregnant young accidentally and the dad being the noble guy that he was disappeared as soon as he found out. And she's stuck in this cycle of just trying to survive. Just running the hamster wheel of, Daycare. Do you know how much daycare is? Holy cow. And it's just like nobody ever taught them how to manage money. Nobody ever taught them a job skill. They never had time to learn it. They were too busy surviving. Nobody ever taught them how to cook nutritionally for their children. Nobody ever taught them any of that. They're, they're surviving. What if we could intervene into that process and say, you know what? God loves you and we're going to give you a leg up. What if we did that? Like we already have people in this room who would have huge ways to contribute that. What if, what if we were able to partner with local business owners? What if we were able to do this? Partner with local business owners and say, you know what? We'll subsidize their hourly wage. You teach them a job skill. You get a cut rate employee and they get to get on their feet. What if we did that? You know what it takes for us to do that? Money. Please don't feel bad that you can make that money. Just use it for God's glory. 
Just use it for God's glory. Like there's so many cool things that we could do. So many cool things that we could do. Uh, The one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, this is his invitation. Body, be the body. And you don't have to all be the same. You can be you, but the goal is to understand who you are and how who you are functions within the body of Christ. Because we're not called to be just me and Jesus and nobody else. We're called to be in this community and function in relationship. And it's not just the journey. The relationship is, in fact, the destination as well. And maturity comes when we increase our capacity to be in relationship well. Now, that doesn't mean we move from relational quotient of five people to relational quotient of 10 people. For some of us, we can't manage very many relationships, right? You just, you're like, I'm so scared, right? One other person in the room, you're like, oh, okay. Because there's some other people like me that are like, hey, let's do it. You know, like, it's everybody, um, Josh Gray, right? If you know Josh Gray, hey, buckaroo, he's the buckaroo guy. Uh, Not everybody has to have 100 relationships. But you need to be connected. You need to be connected into the community, okay? Now, the end of this chapter is a whole slug of implications of what this is going to look like for us. And so for us, we're going to work through these implications as quickly as we can, and we're going to um, take communion while we're doing that. So if you're serving communion, I want you to go back and get that, start passing it out. Uh, For those of you that are new, we have an open table, and what that means is that anybody who's willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us, uh, we would invite you to partake in communion with us, but we want you to hold it till the end and we'll take it all together. Um, let's work through some of these implications. Okay, first one. Love must be genuine. By the way, this is all in Romans 12. This is just direct sentences out of the scriptures. Love must be genuine. I wish we could just get good at that. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Here's what I want to say about those two things together. Because what we often say is genuine love is genuine acceptance of everything that you want to do. It's like, if I love you, I'll never tell you that you're wrong. No, actually, that's absolutely not true. If I love you, I'm going to help you see the end of the road you're walking. Now, I want to do it with gentleness and respect and not be a jerk in the process. But love is not unconditional tolerance. So for those of you that are teenagers in here and you're like, I don't think my parents love me because they won't let me do blah, 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 blah. No, your parents love you and they've been down that road and they made those mistakes and they don't want you to carry the scars they carry. So listen. Listen. (laughs) All the parents, the kids are like, meh, meh, meh. Next one, love one another with brotherly affection. We are family. Next one, outdo one another in showing honor. Like the Christian conversation shouldn't be like the one-up game that we all have a tendency to play. You know that game, the one-up game? Well, you did this, but I did this. Like you, me, like, right? Like you guys have seen Brian Regan, the, I walked on the moon. He said, I want to be one of the 12 people who walked on the moon because when you have the me monster in the conversation, he's like, you can just let him go and then casually drop like, I walked on the moon. 
<laughs> how do you, you know, mic drop. How do you top that? How do you top that? I, I walked on the moon. This is how we function. The Christian life should be one about doing one another in honor. Like you, look at what you've done. You're amazing. Oh, no, no, no. You, you and your awesomeness. Well, but you and your, like it's a joke, but that, where are those conversations? Where are the conversations where we try to stop being awesome and walk out of the room and people go, man, I feel awesome because he was there. Like, who's, who in here would be like, man, I do not want that kind of friend in my life, that kind of friend that makes me feel awesome every time I'm with them. I don't want that kind of friend. Outdo one another in showing honor. Next one. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit serving the Lord. Here's what that means. Don't be lazy. Get your butt out of bed and go to work. But I'm tired. Yeah, you are. Next one. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. You know, if we could just do that. Just do that one, do that one sentence this week. Just that one sentence. You'd do good. Next one. I'm, I'll just leave this one up here for a minute. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Next one. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. What if we were a group of people who rather than being butthurt every time somebody said the wrong thing would choose to bless the people that offended us? Now, I'm not saying be a doormat. I'm saying inspire them. Is it Abraham Lincoln that says, I destroy my, my enemy by making him my friend? right? It's true. Old Abe, he was a smart guy. What if we became, and I wonder if you were to ask the average American on the average street in the average town in America, how would you define the church? Would they define the church community as that kind of a community? Or would they say other things? Next one. Rejoice with those who rejoice. We love that one, but the next part of the sentence is hard, but weep with those who weep. Part of loving people well is to experience the hurt, the ache of tragedy and loss. Next one. Live in harmony with one another. Next one. Do not be haughty. I'll let you go look that up. That's a fun word. But associate with the lowly. You should put your arms around whoever it is that you consider those people. Never be wise in your own sight. Well, if you knew this about blah, 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 and the thing about the extrapolate and the blah, 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 blah. Shut up. And just love people well. Next one. Never repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Man. That's hard. Next one. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Now we know that there's a point at which that other person has to own their responsibility, but we're not talking about them. We're talking about you and me. 
Make a decision to live at peace in as much as you can with everybody. Okay, next one. Never avenge yourselves. How are you doing with that? But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I don't know if you know this, but God walks softly and carries a big stick. Whatever his choice of vengeance is, is way better than anything you come up with on your own. And when you choose to take revenge, you interfere with him extracting his own vengeance on them. So if you want them to pay in the perfect way, let the Lord deal with it. Let the Lord deal with it. Next one. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. And I wish I had had time to talk about that. I just don't. Next one. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the Christian community. And anything less is way more about your relationship with the Lord than it is about the person who hurt you. Or the person that you're trying to love, or the brokenness of the community, the people around. It's not about them. In view of God's mercy, what else could we do? Now, again, this isn't about having no boundaries. Hear me say that. It's not about making yourself unsafe with other people. This is about putting God on display in a way that he wants to be represented. And so to me, as I think about what it looks like to actually do this, it always draws me back to the Lord's Supper. It always draws me back to what this represents for us, that Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. And then after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Lord, give us the courage, the wholeheartedness to live out these simple but profound mandates well. Help us to be people who leave others better than we found them. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this sermon from Real Life. If you'd like to dive a little deeper into this week's message, make sure to check out the accompanying Footnotes podcast. We'd also love to connect with you online at liferotp.com, on Facebook, and on Twitter at liferotp. Romans, the declaration will continue next Sunday. Until then, be blessed and have a great week.